Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. As always, going to be starting off uh, with a great uh, Coach's Corner panel. Got a great, fantastic panel uh, on the show tonight, and I'll uh, introduce them in just a moment here. And then a little bit later on in the show, I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, um, Bernard Sheridan. Of course, uh, many of you may know he's uh, an instructor at the Impact Zone uh, Golf at the Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida. We'll get an update from him on what's happening down there uh, post-Hurricane uh, Irma. Uh, he's also the uh, host of Breaking Par with Bernard Sheridan, a great uh, successful podcast of his own. So uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about that and some other things as well. But uh, thanks for joining everybody uh, this Thursday evening, September 14th. Uh, the show is live, as always, uh, Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on the blogtalkradio.com network. Uh, best way to find us, obviously, is go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just simply talk uh, sorry type golf talk live in the search key and that will take you to the main page and to the uh, live broadcast but for some reason if you can't join us live uh, no worries you can join in after the show uh, again go to that link and just scroll down to the on demand section all of the shows of course are auto recorded so you can listen to them in their entirety uh, should you not be able to tune in live uh, also you can go to uh, itunes or stitcher.com and under the podcast uh, section just type in golf talk live and again you can listen on those uh, social media mediums if uh, if that's more to your liking uh, always love to hear from you if you're welcome to call into the show the number to call is area code 646-716-4667 uh, or you can email me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and uh, i'll i'll relay or bypass a lot of the other social media that i normally uh, ramble on about because we really need to get going on the show tonight but uh, you can find me on facebook uh, twitter and of course linkedin always post there on all those social media uh, mediums as well uh, if you're interested in finding updates on the show uh, as i mentioned we've got a great uh, coaches corner panel tonight uh, joining on the panel is peter agazarian john hughes jamie leno zimron and of course our special guest panelist uh, welcoming back of course is brett cohen and uh, let me just introduce uh, each of them a little bit and then I'll bring them on, and we'll talk about uh, what we're going to discuss here on the show tonight. Uh, first up, of course, is Peter Agazarian. He's a uh, the head men's golf coach uh, with the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, as well as a PGA and TPI uh, teach professional with the Turconic, excuse me, Golf Club. And he's also the founder of Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. Uh, next, of course, is John Hughes. Uh, been on the show many, many times. Uh, PGA Master Professional and the Vice President of the North Florida PGA Section and the recipient of the 2013 PGA of America Horton Smith Award. And he's also a top 30 instructor uh, from Golf Tips Magazine, so you want to make sure you check out him uh, there as well. Uh, and also uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, been on the show many, many times and uh, a favorite guest, uh, favorite guest excuse me, uh, on the panel discussions. Uh, she's a Class A 
uh, LBGA teacher professional and part of our, as I said, our Coaches Corner team, always uh, up to interesting things. Uh, very passionate pioneer in body-mind approaches to peak performance and well-being. Uh, she's also been both a junior and senior golf champion and is the founder of Kiai uh, Golf Training, the Kiai Way, Inc., and every businesswoman golf, uh, known as the Golf Sensei uh, Master Instructor. She brings holistic uh, teachings to golfers and leaders called from a rich background as a fifth-degree Aikido black belt, uh, also psychologist, sports counselor, corporate speaker, and executive coach. And last but not least, of course, our very special guest panelist tonight is Brett Cohen. Uh, he's back here with the, the next segment of the series that we uh, started earlier this season. Uh, he's a uh, golf fitness instructor and fitness over 50 authority, the founder of the uh, NY Golf Fitness Guru. Uh, Brett has been involved in the fitness industry for over 17 years, specializes in working with golfers and individuals over 50, and is the only trainer in New York to hold two golf certificates, uh, fitness certification, excuse me, uh, TPI certified, uh, and Czech Institute, as well as two fitness certifications specializing in the mature population. Um, so, guys, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live, and particularly Coach's Corner. Um, thanks for joining me on the panel tonight. Great to be on, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Nice to be with everybody. All right. Thanks, so Ted. we're going to talk about – not a problem. Um, we're going to talk about uh, – this is the fourth in a um, – a series that we, we started earlier in the year. Uh, Brett, I'm going to hand it over to you just for a second. If you want to uh, quickly recap everybody on what the topics were earlier in the year and then bring us up to date as to what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah. Um, you may have to refresh me on the previous three topics. I know we talked about uh, may have been first one in the season, the most important piece of equipment in your bag, which which, which was the body, of course. Uh, the first thing you need to do to get ready for the season, which was to get assessed uh, so, so you know what your physical abilities and limitations are. And last time, what did we speak about last time? I forgot. <laughs> we, uh, we talked but, about I, – I, I apologize. Yeah. Um, let, me, let me just very quickly – I'll recap them yeah. since I've got them right here. Um, back on March okay. 9th, uh, topic one was uh, what you should do to prepare for the upcoming golf season. Uh, okay. May 25th, we talked about topic two was the most important piece of equipment you own, of course, which is the body. Uh, July 20th, of course, was topic three, uh, what your golf pro doesn't know but should – and then tonight, okay. uh, topic four, I'm going to let you take yeah. over from here. So topic four are the special considerations for the over 50 golfer. Uh, and that's something that I deal with on a regular basis, both as a golf fitness professional and as a, a, a senior fitness specialist or functional aging fitness specialist. So I'm sure all the panelists would agree that the sport of golf provides challenges for golfers of all ages, uh, but there are special challenges for the over 50 golfer. Here's what happens after age 50. We see age-related reductions in the following categories, a loss of flexibility of muscles, tendons, and fascia, which directly impact the mobility of joints. We have a deterioration of posture, balance, and reaction time, a reduction in cardiac output. Strength and power performance are also affected. The typical aging adult will lose 30% of their muscle mass and maximal strength from the ages of 40 to 70. But here's the good news. As significant as those changes are, it's really important to recognize that they could all be minimized through the application of regular exercise. Perfect. And that, that's something, obviously, that we, we all need to do. And, and guys, I know that, that uh, most of us have, have a general understanding about fitness and so forth. Um, and, and John and Peter uh, and, uh, and Jamie, we're going to handle a little bit more of the um, golf side of things uh, as Brett will, will sort of fill in the blanks. Uh, from the fitness side. So let me just start uh, the conversation a little bit. And, and John, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind. 
Um, this is something that we see, I'm going to start off with most obvious, of course, is the loss of ability uh, through rotation with the hips and the spine. This is something that we see as golfers get older. Um, there's obviously an evaluation process that, that we all do as instructors. Talk a little bit about, if you don't mind, a little bit about the evaluation process and some of the things that you've experienced with some of your students um, that you've noticed uh, with this particular age group. Well, I fall into that category, so I'm not calling the kettle black to a certain degree. <laughs> but what I, I'll start noticing things uh, non-verbally as people walk to where I'm teaching, as they carry their bag, uh, as they just go about standing and talking to me. Uh, do they stand to one side predominantly versus the other? And is it so out of balance, it's an obvious compensation for some for a weakness on the other side. Uh, it's just little things that I'll pick up on there. I'll ask the basic questions. Once they start swinging, some of those things that I observe will become obvious, some not so obvious. Uh, but the lack of flexibility, uh, and as I watch people get older, that 30% decrease in muscular uh, activity and, and ability it's certainly there. It's certainly there. And it's, it's something that I not only uh, in a very caring way, try to have that person understand where they are so they can be more realistic. Uh, I, I do try to be a little bit more proactive with various stretching exercises and uh, flexibility, mobility exercises that not only I do, but I know of and been trained to uh, provide, but I'll also tell them, Hey, I'm, um, I can be dangerous with the information I have. Let, let me refer you to my trainer that that can help you with this. And a lot of them take me up on it. Some of them don't. They recognize what their limitations are, and they're fine with it. And so long as they're fine with it and they understand they're only going to get but so far with their improvement, then the relationship's great. It's when they're not fine with reality and they keep fighting it uh, it's sort of Freud's definition of insanity from a golf standpoint of view and the elderly. Uh, I don't consider myself elderly or any of my clients, but facts are facts. As you get older, you're going to have restrictions, and you got to be cognizant of them and, and deal with them. Yeah, well said, um, and, and you're, you're exactly right. This is something that, that unfortunately we all uh, have to deal with, and there's things, and Brent, I'm going to get you in a, in a few moments to, to talk about some of the things that they can do to, to help in that particular area, but first I want to jump to uh, Jamie and then Peter. Um, Jamie, I know you deal with a lot of corporate uh, people as well as, as sort of everybody else in between, um, and I'm sure that with some of your corporate students you see, uh, especially as they start getting up there, and I know that you do uh, a lot of uh, exercise in, in different areas and some of the, the golf programs that you run. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you do to help uh, I guess minimize some of the issues that, that Brett just uh, talked about and, and uh, John did um, and how you try to help them overcome some of the physical limitations that they might experience uh, in their golf game. Sure. Well, actually I've developed uh, my own golf fitness approach or system. It's called make your golf club, your health club. <laughs> and um, it's kind of catchy, but uh, it's, it's really true. Um, I think that it's so important to be doing daily kinds of exercise and that it's possible not only to maintain our flexibility and our strength, but even to regain and, and as we age. 
So, uh, and that, but what's necessary, I think, is some kinds of daily practice. And for golfers, if you can do exercises that also relate to your golf swing and that improve your balance and your, your strength and your flexibility and your range of motion, well, that's great. And if you can do it, uh, do that kind of exercise in your home or even in your office. And I have executives, they've got their seven iron in their, in their office and they use it to do exercises and to work on their golf swing all indoors. Take a five, 10, 15 minute break. How great. You can accomplish your fitness, mind and body fitness and improve your golf swing without having to go anywhere, right? So that it's not costing you any time. You don't have to go and spend any more money and, and you know, just not be able to build it into your day. Uh, so, you know, there's really sort of no, no excuses and it's easy to do. So, you know, the exercises use your golf club and they help you to uh, stretch your spine, for example, to make more space between your vertebrae, stretch your lats, stretch your, uh, stretch your hamstrings, stretch out your low back, there's spinal rotational movements for your backswing and your follow-through, uh, positions for, for all the phases of your golf swing, your backswing, downswing impact, follow-through, uh, improving the strength in your glutes and the pelvic support muscles and the erector spini muscles, the ones that hold up your spine that, and that give you good posture. So all of these things relate to your golf swing, they, and then they, of course, just relate to your general health. The really cool part, too, is in terms of sort of a body-mind practice is that when you're focusing your mind on particular body parts, so, for example, some of my exercises, uh, you know, say push a little bit from your, your left instep. That'll turn your right hip, and then let your, your hips turn and your shoulders, and then turn your, turn your head, turn your neck. So you're stretching the, uh, the cervical spine, and turn your chin, your nose, your eyeballs. Wow, you're getting right into the spine. Um, so things like that, uh, uh, focusing your mind means that you're working on sort of neurological mind-body exercise as well as body exercise. And that's so important because as we age, we all know that there's mental deterioration a lot of times, dementia, et cetera. We know we need to use our minds, keep, keep focusing, and we need to use our bodies so that we can prevent, um, you know, loss of muscle mass or loss of bone mass. And these things can all be done, but that's why it requires daily exercise. And it's so easy to do, you know, in, in, in your home, in your office. And when you're using your golf club for golfers and actually improving your golf swing, it's just like, you know, the perfect win-win kind of storm. Right, right. Well said as well, Jamie. Um, you know, you, you raise a lot of uh, very interesting points. You know, I think a lot of people um, – when they're out there and doing whatever exercise, I mean, obviously any exercise is, is good for you if you can do something out there, but the, the more uh, tailor-made, if you will, to the particular sport or activity that you're doing, the better it is. There's some exercises that are very conducive to helping your golf game, and then there's other exercises um, that maybe uh, increase more of a bulked-up type uh, 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 appearance that may not uh, help with your golf swing. Um, Peter, I want to jump to you real quick, and then, Brett, I'm going to give you a moment to just also add mm -hmm. uh, some additional things that, uh, again, focus in this key area right now, and then we'll go on to the next uh, phase of it. Um, but, Peter, you know, one of the things that I'd like for you to talk about a little bit um, with, with your students is sort of the pre- and post-warm-up uh, to both the teaching lesson 
um, on the on the practice tee and also maybe even a playing lesson uh, or even uh, going out and, and playing it maybe in an event or something with with your students. Uh, what are some of the things that you try to do to get your students? I mean, obviously you can't be there through an entire fitness routine, um, but do you try to make sure that they're incorporating some kind of uh, pre and post warm up routine in order to, to get loose and limber uh, to be able to go out uh, and, and play a successful round? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's but it's also very tailored. Um, there, very often, <clears throat> I have my the fitness professional that I um, collaborate with is present at, um, you know, to supervised practice, which all my coaching people are recommended to go to. Um, and she's very good. She likes, she tailors their warm up and, and cool down to their own uh, physical limitations and their own personal bodies. So she's really fantastic in that sense. Um, and I just help them understand how, you know, that applies to their swing helps them achieve what they really are able to do to be successful. I mean, you know, especially talking about the, the aging population, it's, it's really important for them to prepare the, their bodies a for performance and then B to, you know, stave off any type of injuries that might be caused. Yeah. And well said. And, and also to uh, Peter, I think it's, as I was saying, it's, it's not only important to, um, do some of these th- things before we go out and whether we're practicing or actually playing, but also even after um, when you've been out on the golf course, maybe for three or four hours or, or whatever the case may be, or out in the practice tee, I think it's also good to have a cool down as well. Is this something that, that through your, your fitness instructor that you, uh, you know, work with, with your students, uh, try to I- incorporate that into uh, some of your lessons as well to make sure that they're following some sort of a, a warm uh, a cool down or, or post uh, uh, physical um, lesson or, or, uh, or, you know, playing lesson? Yeah, I mean, I, I encourage them to stay after for five minutes and just, you know, regress down their clubs if they want to start with driver, you know, hit two drivers, you know, hit, you know, five, you know, eight irons and then start hitting shots to as short as they possibly can um, to just make sure that they're defending themselves the best they can. I know that, you know, anybody that's going to be going to the gym and doing any kind of rigorous workout afterward is going to be going through some sort of cool down period. Um, it's kind of silly to think that we're going to ask them to do a complex motion for, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to an hour, then just say, okay, see you, you know, have a good day, you know, fairly (laughs) responsible. Yeah. And, and, and this is something, and, and just to, to sort of preface what everybody is saying, you know, these are things that, that obviously we want to encourage our students to, to do um, whatever level they may be at. Um, but obviously we can't force you uh, to do anything. But, you know, you, you certainly need to ingrain some of these things that we're going to talk about tonight uh, into your, your uh, golf regimen, if you will. It's not just a, about hitting uh, golf shots and about uh, strategy out in the golf course. It's also making sure that you're in peak condition uh, when and whenever you're out there on the golf course, uh, whether it's a practice session uh, or it's a playing, uh, uh, a playing time as well. Um, sorry, go ahead. Ted, can I just answer the question real quick about the aging population? I just, just to look at one of their strengths instead of just the, the physical limitations, I feel as though their, sure. their past experiences and their ability to relate to those past experiences is a real strength of the, that age demographic. And if they can mentally relate to what they're trying to accomplish, it makes it easier for them. That was my only piece of that's it. Sorry. 
that's a that's a great point, Brett. Um, what about that? That you yeah. know, we, we often talk about. Um, you know, Peter makes a, a very good point. You know, we often talk about some of the limitations as we get older, and, and um, you know, I'm I'm in that boat too. I mean, I'm going to be 54 in the new year, so uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly well on my way past the 50. Um, but Peter raises a great point. Um, there's a lot of past experience that we bring to the table. So how can we best um, utilize and tap into that, um, at least from a fitness standpoint? Well, certainly they have uh, a lot of life experience, but I'm not sure it's going to depend on the individual whether they have a lot of fitness experience and how to apply the science of fitness to help them play golf better as well as do the things they need to do, like to do, and, and want to do better. So uh, knowing one's limitations, of course, is important, but some of them may have more inside of them than they realize if they're coached to do more than they're accustomed to doing. And that's that's what my job is, is to, to bring out the best with whatever they have left in the game or left in the tank. Right. Um, now, obviously, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the rotation and, and obviously um, there's issues with uh, deterioration in the posture. But there's also a big thing that happens with all golfers of any age, really, uh, is that loss of mobility or flexibility or even stability. Talk a little bit, Brett, about that, and then um, I, I've got some other questions that I'm going to put out to the panel uh, in, in relation to this. So um, talk a little yeah. bit about that area as well. That, that's a common thing. And, and what are some things um, that, that the average golfer, but particularly some of our 50-plus golfers, can do to, to help in these three areas, the mobility, flexibility, and stability? Right, so uh, they're all interrelated, of course, and John said earlier that uh, he observes his students as they approach the lesson. Uh, He's basically observing someone's postural habits or what their postural imprint is. Oftentimes, you need to make that student aware of what their postural habits are because most of them are not going to have great posture for golf or for life. So when we're talking about posture, which this goes across all age groups, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's more prevalent in the old, over 50 population. If you're on the phone all day long on the computer, your shoulders are going to become rounded, your upper back becomes flexed, your head will drift forward. So the muscles of the chest, top of the shoulders, back of the neck become short and tight. And what that does is it restricts the range of motion of the shoulders and rib cage because those muscles that surround those segments lack extensibility. So flexibility training is going to be part of the solution there, um, including the, the habits that Jamie brought up, having having um, a warm-up and a cool-down process to make sure those muscles stay as long as we could get them. Uh, I have three parts to my flexibility program. The first is the roll-it stage, which is changing the density of the soft tissue, the body soft tissue, the fascia. Uh, we do that with massage sticks and foam rollers and other tools that are designed to help change the density of the tissue. The next is to stretch it. And the third is to move it. So we do that in functional movement patterns such as squatting, lunging, twisting, um, et cetera, bending as well. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Jamie, I want to jump to you this time and then Peter and then, and then John. Um, you know, J- Jamie, just sort of picking up on this mobility and, and flexibility uh, and sta- uh, stability um, forum here, can you, what can you add to, to maybe, with, again, with some of your students that you've experienced? I know that you do a lot of work, particularly with stability and, and even flexibility, but um, what are some things that you try to, to do with your students 
to ensure that, that they're maximizing their best uh, potential out there in the golf course in those particular areas? Well, I think in the areas that we've been talking about, uh, warming up is so important, and we call them warm-ups, right? They actually warm up the body, mm-hmm. but uh, the warm-ups also give you a chance to focus your mind and to really be aware and present in your body. And there are simple things to do, for example, uh, for stability in terms of um, uh, kind of you know make your golf club your health club. You can just uh, have a, an iron, I like to have, and uh, hold it just right next to you, or, or you just kind of stand on the ground and your hand is on top of it, right? So you're using it for um, some stability. And you do simple leg lifts, so raise one leg, keep the knee locked, and then raise and lower the leg. You can do reps, 5, 10, 25, and by keeping your knee locked and you're really raising and lowering from the hips, so you're working on uh, strengthening you know, the hip flexors, the glutes, and the leg mm-hmm. you're standing on is, is gaining strength and, of course, change legs or just move the club to the other side. I've had golfers 80, even 90 years old, may be difficult, actually, to even raise their leg or to do that with any kind of balance. Sometimes they'll um, have a, use a club, uh, in right hand, left hand, for um, you know, complete stability and then raise the leg one at a time. What it's really been, and there's some other ones, but uh, what's really fascinating is that just by gaining that amount of stability and balance, a little bit more strength, all of a sudden they're able to find more power as they impact a golf ball. And power is not something they're necessarily experiencing, but now they've got stability. They've got some legs and feet yep. under them, and they're, you know, they're not uh, sort of swaying or lifting or whatever. Another just kind of basic exercise we were talking about, um, the fascia and the muscles around certain segments. So interesting that the arms and the elbows and the shoulders get really tight. And you can think of your elbows and your arms not being able to straighten out, kind of like your hamstrings being tight behind your knees. So you'll see people, uh, for example, I have them just hold a golf club in in both hands and raise it above their head. Um, And you'll see that it's difficult to extend their arms out completely straight because the muscles around the the whole segment around their elbows um, are, are tight and the shoulders are tight. So they're holding the club up above their head as much as they can with elbows as straight as possible and just some simple suggestion to straighten as much as they can and and then just to sort of gently pump the shoulders back, just one, two, three, four. This starts to gently loosen the shoulder girdle and to loosen uh, as well as strengthen the back muscles that we're talking about, the sacrospinalis muscles, and then uh, extend that club up a little bit higher, a little bit higher. So they're starting to open up and to stretch out the um, the arms and the elbows. Well, what does that do? With greater stability, and then they can have better extension as they, they take their club back and particularly coming through. Lots of times with the elbows real tight, they can't extend their arms, and so they lift up uh, quickly. They may toss the ball or not get very much uh, power distance. So, you know, there's no ideal place. Like, you've got to have your arms perfectly straight, right? You're not 20 years old. Right. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter. Right. But for each individual who gains a little bit more stability, a little bit more extension, um, as they're holding the club over their head, uh, kind of lean to one side so that you're stretching out the side of your body. And we call this pulsing, where you kind of uh, push into your hip with, again, repetitions, one, two, three, four, five, over to the other side with a breath and you really want to breathe deeply. It's calming, it increases uh, cardiovascular function, and you know, more oxygen pumping through the system, oxygenating the brain. All these things happen just by doing a simple exercise. 
So with the sides of the body stretched out, the elbows a little bit more extended, um, just, you know, a little bit of gain, what I've seen with, uh, with people is a little bit of gain in, in that kind of stability and flexibility translates into a few more yards on the golf ball or a little bit more power. And it's, it's a thrill, you know, it's like, wow, I'm getting better. I'm regaining. And <laughs> what's also really nice is that, I mean, it really, people are thrilled. And it, it's a thrill, too, to see someone I've seen literally, um, you know, 85, 90-year-old students who are just standing up a little bit taller, extending a little bit more, rotating a little further, um, and you can hear the pop on the ball. It's like, wow, and it's such a thrill. It's really exciting to actually regain function, regain power, uh, regain distance. And um, the nice thing, too, as a corollary is that, you know, you put your golf club down, we all have to walk around, and we know particularly um, as we get older and elderly people, probably the biggest uh, problem or, or danger they face is falling. And um, so right. if we can do things to, to uh, increase balance, increase strength, then we can prevent falls, and, and that can be life-saving, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and again, well said. Um, you know, Peter, obviously, um, we have to do, uh, as John uh, alluded to in the beginning, uh, you know, there's, he, he's already evaluating uh, his students as they're walking up for the lesson. Um, but uh, one of the things, obviously, that a lot of people, um, really at any age, uh, this can happen. But I, again, we're, we're going to focus a little bit on some of the 50 and plus golfers is, as Jamie also talked about was loss of uh, power uh, and, and flexibility. Um, one of the things that I'm sure you've seen this, maybe you could talk a little bit about this and, and how you sort of try to help uh, overcome this is uh, a lot of golfers because of a deficiency, they may be experiencing whatever they may be, uh, will try to compensate by making adjustments in their swing. Um, once you've sort of diagnosed that, do you then put in place some sort of a plan to help them uh, through, uh, again, through your fitness uh, expert that you're dealing with, uh, some sort of a plan to sort of overcome some of that uh, um, instability, if you will, or uh, issue that they may be dealing with in order to um, not sort of use um, something as a crutch in order to, to, in other words, a Band-Aid for their swing. Talk a little bit about through the evaluation process with maybe one of your students um, when you come across a scenario like that and how do you try to help them overcome that? Yeah, I mean, just to answer your question uh, um, pertaining to, you know, if it is their choice to put in the time necessary to, um, you know, work on their physical capacities and their physical functional functional ability, then I am happy to go down that road. I'm happy to recommend them to, you know, um, this person, um, the person that I collaborate with, but more so that I see on a, on an everyday basis is the player, um, you know, we'll say over 50 for the sake applying a conceptual understanding of their golf swing that they feel like they have to do something that their body can't right. physically do. Never mind right. in swing, but in a functional everyday sense, and then they don't get better. They're asking themselves to do something their body can't do. So if someone has a shoulder limitation in, the, in their right shoulder and can't rotate it past 90 degrees, how can they possibly come from the inside during their golf swing? They have right. to to some degree, move the club uh, on the forward swing to the left 
well, if they have a physical, like a conceptual understanding that they're, that's what their body has to do, then that starts a completely different conversation that can result in mm-hmm. them making better ball contact, controlling their ball better. And th- at that point, they can add distance and enjoy the game more. If they choose not to go down the road of working on their functionality, addressing limitations, there's more uh, can be a more productive conversation in that instance about how they can have a different conceptual understanding of their golf game or their golf swing or the motion they're working on and work at a different level of efficiency. And that can help move the needle towards them enjoying the game more or executing the shot they're working on better. That it's, it's right. one or the other. You, you have the person that's willing to make the choice to put in the time to listen to the professional that they, that I'm referring or the professional that they choose to go see, or you have the person that's unwilling to do that, does not want to invest the time or cannot invest the time who just has a, a, no self-awareness as to what their body can do functionally. And then applying a, a, a I call them half twos that they read in a magazine or were given an input by a, a peer, a friend, possibly a professional or um, a magazine or something that they saw on television uh, as something they Mm. feel like they have to do to play golf. Well, that's what I see more often and and very, very often. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great point. Um, John, I, I, being both of us down here in Florida, uh, I know that we see this a lot and and just to sort of pick up a little bit on, on what Peter was just saying, um, you know, there's a lot, unfortunately, I, I hate to say this, but I'll be the one to say it. There's a lot of stubborn golfers out there, um, that don't want to, uh, sometimes do the things that are necessary to make, uh, changes. You know, a lot of times we will get them up in the practice tee or the lesson tee and they just want to hit a little bit further, or they just want to hit a little bit straighter. And they're looking for a lot of times a band aid uh, or a quick fix, um, so they can continue out and, and play. But obviously we want golfers to have fun. Uh, we don't want to, you know, be too taxing and, and making it too difficult for golfers. But at the same time, um, I think that there has to be a conversation uh, in the industry. Um, and, you know, we're starting a little bit of it here tonight. But um, to the golfer themselves uh, and say, you know, a conversation that maybe starts off and saying, if you really want to improve, these are some things that you're going to have to uh, be willing to do. Otherwise, you're going to keep going down the same path. So, John, how do we start this conversation? How do we get this this 50 plus crowd? That it's a growing population. Uh, it's an aging population um, uh, of golfers out there. More and more are falling into this category. Um, some of the newer ones coming in are maybe a little bit more fitness savvy, but some of the ones on the other side of the spectrum uh, are a lot less. How do we start this conversation? How do we get them to realize that? this is going to be ultimately for their benefit. Videotape them walking down their stairs, and when they (laughs) see themselves fall, then you got to start. Um, Again, it's all about about having fun, and I'm glad everybody's laughed because I was trying to figure out how I was going to get that done. Uh, It's real easy. Uh, I take it two ways, and it's based on the client. There are some clients that are ready to get hit head on smack dab in their forehead with, Hey, you need to get in better shape. And then there's others. You have to 
dance around that because they are looking for Cheech and Chong's magic dust. And I always tell them, I don't have it. I'm helping you reach in your pocket to find it. So the the ones I can have the conversation with immediately, I do. And the real key is not to drill at home uh, too hard. They probably already, they already know it. Uh, you don't want to become mom and dad or brother, sister, or spouse. You want to remain coach because if you if you drill at home too hard and they compare you to their nagging spouse, they're not going to listen to you. So you, you have right. to do it in a way that that really presents it objectively. Those kinds of people, I normally will talk about it not as a golf function, but as a life function, that when they're right. at that social gathering at, at the clubhouse Friday nights, they won't have to stand on one leg or lean on the table any longer uh, for support, that when they're dealing with their grandkids, they can still run some circles around the younger ones versus the older ones. I try to put it more in perspective that way. The ones you have to dance around, I'll get them doing things, and they'll sort of look at me and go, hey, what in the world am I doing this for? And I will pull out that video of them falling down the stairs, i.e. their bad golf swing, or at least in their, their recollection, it's a bad golf swing. I don't ever call it bad. I just tell them, hey, it's functional based on what your abilities are and how you tend to want to set up for those abilities. So is it the chicken or the egg? Do you want to work on yourself or work on your golf game? Oh, why don't we work on both at the same time? And guess what I had you doing? You didn't realize that I've got you working on something that physically is going to help you out. Uh, normally that will raise some eyebrows. The ones that get a little mad at me, I normally have a baseball bat somewhere close that I can stave them off with. But it's, you know, it's, it's, it's literally just having, uh, it, I don't think it's stubborn. Uh, I give, I give uh, the more experienced golfer the benefit of the doubt that it's not stubbornness. It's wanting to think you can still do what you used to do. And, and if you go down that road with them and show them what their potential is now versus what their past recollections were, you, you gain a friend, you gain a relationship. And they'll, they'll go down almost any path you want with them. But if you, you know, hit them in the face too hard with, hey, you're not capable of this. You can't, you can't hit the broad side of a barn if you tried. Uh, that may work for some, but I, I've never found it to work for a lot. I've, what I've found is let's, let's support them. Let's create that relationship and have them understand, hey, I live in your shoes a little bit, and here's some things I do. But at the same time, let's make it fun. It, it's okay to make it fun, and it's okay to make it subliminal so you don't think that you're doing anything work-wise. Bottom line, if you relate it back to their everyday life, Maybe them and their spouse can roll around one extra night a week or a couple of times a month or whatever. I mean, that may work. <laughs> yeah, John's got it right. You have to find out what, what motivates them. <laughs> What's their why? A first for Golf Talk Live, John. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Dr. Um, Ruth called me during Irma to check in, so I had to relay a little bit of wisdom. Well That's said. Perfect. Um, Brett, let me just ask you something. Uh, you know, Peter, uh, you know, talked about something, um, and I know this is in uh, what you're discussing here tonight. But, but really, um, you know, one of the mistakes that that 
you know, we have to guard again as professionals is, is not getting somebody into positions that they're physically uh, can't uh, get into. And, and obviously, if we want them to do things right, uh, we have to do things like evaluate their swing and, and uh, as you talk about, and, and also evaluate the player's body. But there's some other things that we can do as well. So why don't you uh, pick up on the next point, and then we'll, we'll continue on uh, with, the, with the discussion. Uh, which point did you want me to talk about? Match, matching uh, the, the abilities with someone. Yes. Oh, so uh, I think Peter said it as uh, is, is good as anybody. You, you first have to give that student, client, an understanding of what they're physically capable of doing and how that relates to the golf swing. And, and then they have a choice whether they want to take the next step and evolve their body into a better moving body to play golf better or play golf with the physical limitations that they're given. Because ultimately, your ability to play golf well is going to be enhanced or limited by what your physical capabilities are. Uh, So it's really up to the individual, as everyone has stated, whether or not they're going to take action on their own or with the encouragement of a coach uh, to do something on a regular basis to get their body to move better, not just for golf, but for life. Right. Um, let me just ask you a quick question, just sort of on, on the on the cusp of what John was just talking about. Um, you know, obviously finding ways to motivate. Uh, you know, Brett, I know that you work with a lot of uh, you know folks that that want to improve their golf game, and obviously in that 50 plus crowd. Um, just maybe give us a, some of the feedback that you get from them um, as to some of the the limitations that they've experienced that maybe a lot of golfers experience for those that might be tuning in that, that they can relate to. Mm. And then what you try to do, um, cause obviously you're not a, a, a golf instructor, but you're rather a golf fitness instructor, which is obviously is different from, from the rest of us. So yeah. what do you do yeah. to try to, to, to get them motivated and, and sort of open their, their eyes to a new way of thinking, if you will, to, to better their games? Well, I have to say the people that I work with, already come to me motivated. That's why they're working with me. And even if they're under age 50, they usually have the same goals. One, they want to play golf better. So they come to a realization, whether they're 33 or 63, that their ability to play golf better is limited by how their body functions. They've either gotten feedback from a golf teaching professional like the other people on the panel, or they've watched enough golf that they could see that they don't move as well as they would like to, to play, to play golf the way they would like to. Uh, the way I say it is that their body doesn't move the way it needs to to play golf the way they want to. So they're already motivated by the desire to play golf better, but they also tell me that they want the exercise program to carry over into daily life. And when I educate them as to what the exercise program entails, and I discuss the difference between functional and non-functional exercises, and I show them videotape of clients, past clients and current clients doing exercises that they're going to aspire to, then they get it. And they realize that over time their body can change and will change. It so is, they're, they're is, already <laughs> Right. No, that, that's great. Is what John said earlier too, um, is stubbornness maybe the wrong word to use in, in describing some of the, the golfers? What would be a better way to characterize um, maybe misinformed uh, or lack of information. Uh, there are still people I talk to on a regular basis, just one potential client the other day that uh, even after, uh, after an extensive conversation could not grasp 
the difference between non-functional and functional exercise because there's still a lot of people that think that strength training needs to be done in a seated environment because that's what they're accustomed to seeing in a gym. And so I, I go about right. explaining to them why that's less than ideal um, for a variety of reasons, which I'm not sure you want to get into tonight. But um, right. sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. Most often if I'm in front of them, they're going to get it because I have a way of expressing it that is irresistible. So they're going to understand <laughs> why it's different and, and, and why it's important. So. <laughs> so, sounds like we might have another Dr. Ruth moment coming here, but uh, we'll, we'll have to save that one for yeah, we'll no. have to save that one for well, another time, uh, uh, yeah. Brett. Um, okay. Well. Now, now, Peter, you know, I, I wanted to ask you as well because um, I know that that obviously um, you're now the uh, as you made mention or as I made mention the opening uh, uh, credits that uh, uh, you're now the headsman men's golf coach uh, with the uh, Massachusetts College of, of Liberal Arts. So um, this is a, a new uh, venue for you that, that you've been working at. And obviously, you know, we're dealing with a younger crowd in that. But uh, I imagine that you also do talk about some preventative. I mean, at some point, they're going to be hitting this, this uh, market segment. Uh, are there things that, that you do or that you're going to be doing in your programming that uh, will help in a maybe preventative way? Uh, to, to keep them in their peak performance uh, as they continue on mm-hmm. their journey um, and, and eventually get to that stage. In other words, better prepare them. Because this is something that really, let's be honest, that in my generation and, and John and, and so on and so forth, um, you know, this is something that was really not as readily available as it is today. Um, so what are some things that, that you're doing or, or you're going to be doing uh, in that position uh, to, to maybe help foster that? You know, at their stage, their level of functional ability is not at a maximum, but it's pretty close to the peak. You're talking about, you know, I'll call them kids because they still are, but you have young adults who are between the ages of 19 and 23. Um, no matter what their body fat percentage might be, their muscle function and their bone function, their joint function is pretty close to their peak. So what I work with the young people is on levels of efficiency in their golf motion so that you can be installed during their functional time in their life instead of what I see often afterward is that you have a player that's uh, reaching their 30s or their early mid-30s and they start experiencing the beginning of the the drop-off and they can't move like they did when they played college golf or competitive junior golf or, and they, they're coming to me or another coach or teaching professional to help them reach that level of efficiency at that point so that they can Mm -hmm. play further and further and further into their lives. And they're with, you know, they're not going to experiencing the injury or the stress put on their bones and joints by inefficient movements. And, you know, for the, for the college students, you know, obviously we're looking to just help them lower their scores as, as much as possible. But also I look at it as just a long-term investment in them in helping them move as efficiently as they possibly can in their, in their golfing motions. It's just not their full swing. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously I think that the, the educate, uh, uh, Brett, as you were mentioning earlier is, is that the lack of knowledge or, or education 
um, is really what hinders uh, a lot of uh, folks out there from from really being at their best. And I think yeah. the the mm-hmm. information out there, as long as you're careful where you're getting the information from, uh, is much more readily available and accessible to to uh, you know especially the up and coming golfers now. Um, so Ted, it, it really and- sort of behooves. Yes, go ahead. Sorry, just to finish the thought real quickly. You know, given mm-hmm. the fact that this is my first season with the team, we're heading into our, our our first off season. You know, the college does have a great support team on the physical <clears> side. Um, they are going to be working with the physical trainers at, at, over the winter, uh, heading into the spring season just to prepare their bodies as best as possible. But that's something that is right in the infancy of that entire process. So, um, we right. are attacking it from that end. I just, I just, you know, didn't finish my thought there. That's all. Sorry. Nope. Nope. Not a problem. Um, Brett, just to sort of to wrap up real, real quick, um, any sort of closing, uh, thoughts or, or comments that you want to make, and then I'm going to go around, uh, to everybody and give them a, a chance to, uh, to let the folks know where they can reach out, uh, and, and get in touch with them. Yeah, sure. Um, I think part of, what holds a lot of people back uh, over the age of 50 is that after age 50, they start to move less instead of moving more because they actually need more movement after age 50 because of all the things I mentioned earlier on in the show. Uh, And that's society's expectation of them, which often becomes their expectation of themselves. And uh, as we get older, none of us are going to stay the same, but you can make regular exercise a habit and part of your life and that will extend and improve your life. So there's a famous quote I wanted to mention from uh, a jazz pianist named Yubi Blake. He made it age 99, and he said, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I'd have taken better care of myself. So what I would end mm-hmm. with is it's never, too, it's never too late to start feeling great, as I like to say. <laughs> well said. Um, very quickly, Brett, I'll, I'll let you finish off. Um, where can the folks, if they want to get more information, uh, where can they reach out to the website and so forth? Yeah, website is nygolffitnessguru, all one word, and all the contact information they could possibly want is on that site, the the links to all the social media outlets as well. Um, The topic that we talked about, part of what we talked about tonight is going to become an article for the MyPPI website, which is a great resource for anyone who plays golf at any age. So um, that should be online shortly. I'll let everybody know when it is. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Peter? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on tonight, Ted. I really appreciate it. It's always great to be uh, um Seems like John and I have to get to share a spot on the panel every time I'm on, so <laughs> good to be on with John again and Jamie and Brett. Uh, thanks for your time, too. Um, mm-hmm. People can uh, visit my website at um, gogolfcoach.com. I'm pretty prevalent on uh, social media. I do have pretty much every platform. Uh, you can you can search my my full name. Uh, my Facebook page is uh, Peter Egazarian Performance Coach or PGA and TPI Performance Coach. Uh, my my Instagram is pretty prevalent. Uh, it's at uh, Daily Golf Coach, and uh, on Twitter I am at uh, Daily Golf Pro. Uh, but again, thanks Ted for having me on. And uh, if there's any questions, um, just please reach out. I'm happy to answer them for you. Perfect. And congratulations on the new. Uh, uh, addition to your repertoire, uh, much uh, continued success and, and good luck this year uh, as yeah. the uh, head men's golf coach uh, at uh, the College of uh, in Massachusetts. So good luck with that, um, Jamie. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Jamie. Yes. Hi. Yeah. 
um, go ahead and let the folks know if they want to reach out. Oh, sure. Um, well, again, thank you, Ted, and thanks to all my uh, esteemed uh, panel members. It's been great just to hear from everybody and talk about this subject. Um, people can find me at kiigolf.com, K-I-A-I, golf.com, uh, or uh, direct calls, always helpful as well, easy to reach at 760-492-GOLF, 492-4653. And I just wanted to share one story before uh, we close, Ted, if I can. Uh, yeah. My my fa- my father's now 97, and um, he he broke his hip. But it was when he was 89 and out riding his bicycle. He used to stop to answer his cell phone. <laughs> That's how he broke his hip. <laughs> um, but uh, when he was 80 is when I started to teach golf bliss and ki golf bliss is balance length and integrate stretch strengthen. And I, I made a DVD series which is available. Uh, kind of a classic series now on my website. But um, my dad was always a very average to worst golfer. And, you know, once in a blue moon broke 90, usually shot, you know, in the 90s and in the 100s. Anyways, he became my student at age 80. And he continued to improve until that day, nine years later, when he unfortunately fell off his bicycle. But uh, he actually shot more rounds in the 80s, in his 80s, than he did in his 40s or 50s or 60s, which was really cool. And uh he literally carried my DVD series around in his trunk, in his car, because everywhere he went, at a driving range or playing golf, people said to him, oh, my God, like, how old are you? And he'd tell them his age, and nobody could believe it, because he had a full backswing, <laughs> a full turn, a full follow-through. He was hitting the ball straight, right. uh, you know, with you know, pretty nice distance, not huge, but just, you know, and really consistent in this really nice golf swing and amazing balance for his age. Anyways, you tell him how old he was, and they go, it's impossible. That, that just can't be true. And he'd go, and they'd say, what are you doing? And he'd say, well, you know what? My daughter made this thing. <laughs> and it's not because she's my daughter, but because <laughs> it's helped me so much. And he was like my best right. salesman, which was really great. And uh, so, it, you know, he really encouraged me way early on when I started teaching uh, some of this golf and golf lessons and stuff. He he encouraged me uh, to work with, um, I, I like that phrase, experienced golfers. And, you know, particularly people even getting up into their, their 80s and even 90s and to see just what was possible. So I wanted to share that story because he's been, you know, such an inspiration. And by the way, he's a lefty as well. Well done. Um, yeah, that that is definitely – uh, an inspiration. There's no excuse for, for those of us out there in their 50s uh, after listening to that. Thank you very much, uh, Jamie. And, and John, certainly last but not least, um, your uh, contact information and and then just a quick update on, on how things are uh, post-Hurricane uh, Irma in Orlando. Sure. For, first, Peter, Jamie, uh, Brett, thanks for being on. This is always a pleasure to be on with Ted and whoever's yeah. on with me. And uh, always a lot of fun. I do try to crack things up here and there. I got to admit, but uh, you it's all laughing good tonight, for everybody, sure. especially <laughs> especially for the listeners. Uh, you can reach me at johnhughesgolf.com. I teach at a Falcons Fire Golf Club in Kissimmee, which now looks like a big pond in certain places. Uh, Central mm-hmm. Florida did get pretty ravaged from the golf side of things, uh, it, until it touches you personally, like it has me, you sort of knock it off as something you see on the news. Uh, do reach out to those people that were affected by Harvey and Irma and let them know mm-hmm. you're there for to help them to do whatever it is for them. Believe it or not, 
just a simple bag of ice is some some things that were simply needed by me and my family. And when it showed up right. knocking on the door, it was very much appreciated. Uh, we're digging out of it uh, slowly but surely, according to the electric uh, people here. It could be as late as next week before some people regain power. I was lucky enough to get mine back literally 40 minutes before the show today. So that's why I was saying I was doing better earlier. I uh, certainly doing wow. better now than I was at the beginning of the show. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, hang in there for those people in central Florida, South Florida. Uh, if you're accessible to a computer or phone and you know of a place where you can help out, I strongly encourage people to do so until it affects you personally. You just never know. Uh, always start the charity from within yourself, from the home, and give outwardly. It pays dividends tenfold throughout the lifetime of, of you and your family. Well said. And, John, how can they reach you? Um, uh, I know you've got a website now. Let the folks know how they can reach out to you. Yeah, John at John Hughes Golf is the email. Uh, telephone number is 407-852-8547. I'm all over social media as is Ted I always bump into him there versus in person, which is probably a good thing for us both. Uh, but you can reach me Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, and just feel free to reach out. I'm always available to answer a question or discuss golf or if you're looking for some help, once we can get Falcons fire back open next week, I'll be available to assist you that way as well. Well, thank you, John and and Jamie and Peter and and Brett. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you guys join me here on the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. And and uh, I can't emphasize this enough. It's uh, truly uh, not only an honor, but it, it's, it's certainly a privilege to. I always feel like I get something out of this as well as as the, the listeners do. Um, it's always good to, for us in the profession to exchange uh, thoughts and information. Uh, and help one another, as, as John just pointed out, and, and uh, certainly, uh, definitely in a humanitarian way as well. So uh, don't forget to, to reach out, as John suggested. And thank you, guys, as always. Uh, I'm glad, uh, John, that you're safe and glad that the power is back on. And uh, uh, just continue, guys, and doing all the great work that you do. And until the next time uh, on Coach's Corner, I will uh, talk to you later. Thank you, guys. Thank Good night, you so Jay, much. Thanks. Bye, guys. Thank all right. You. Bye-bye. All right, that was the uh, Coach's Corner panel tonight. Uh, Peter Agazarian, John Hughes, and Jamie Leno-Zimron. And, of course, very special guest panelist tonight, Brett Cohen, uh, golf fitness instructor from New York. Um, thanks, guys, for doing a great job. And, and obviously, we can't uh, cover everything uh, on, uh, on the, the topics. We try to uh, touch some of the highlights. And, and as uh, everybody sort of agreed on tonight, um, we, we certainly can't force anybody uh, to get out there and, and get into some sort of uh, fitness routine. But if you want to enjoy the game and, and have more fun, uh, it's certainly in your best interest to not just uh, work on some of the fundamentals and, and the basics of the golf swing, but to get out there and work on yourselves as well. Uh, as, as some of the stories shared tonight, it, it will definitely pay some dividends. Um, but uh, thanks again to, uh, to the panel tonight. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, I'm going to be joined here by uh, my very special guest tonight, uh, Bernard Sheridan. He's the uh, instructor at uh, Impact Zone Golf at uh, Tiburon Golf Club in Naples, Florida, and also the host of his own podcast, uh, Breaking Par with Bernard Sheridan. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit more about Bernard. Uh, Originally from uh, Pennsylvania, uh, another uh, northerner as well. Uh, Bernard currently, as I mentioned, works as uh, an instructor at Impact Zone uh, Golf at Tiburon. And... uh, 
share, has been sharing his vast uh, teaching experience for 19 plus years and uh, again also a uh, host of Breaking Par with Bernard Sheridan uh, which is a very successful podcast and also uh, he's worked as an audio engineer for uh, 30 plus years as well so uh, a great repertoire we're going to talk a little bit of golf when he joins me here in just a moment or two and uh, we will continue uh, as we always do this uh, great conversation and I'm going to certainly uh, talk to him a little bit uh, about uh, his uh, uh, surviving if you will and, and getting through uh, uh, Hurricane Irma of course being in Naples as I mentioned is, is where he's based out of now uh, lots of, uh, of, of struggles with, with many of the folks down there as it was uh, really hit uh, hard uh, when, uh, when uh, the hurricane uh, came into um, the uh, United States. It's pretty much where it, it entered landfall. And uh, there was certainly, as most of you have seen, lots of uh, flooding and so forth. So uh, we'll just uh, give him a moment or two. But while I wait for uh, Bernard to, to come on the show, uh, let me just remind everybody, of course, um, that we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, or 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast and 4 to 6 for those of, uh, out in the Pacific uh, Standard Time. And uh, the best way to find us, of course, is go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key you can type uh, Golf Talk Live and that will take you to the main page and uh, you can listen there uh, either live or if for some reason you can't join us live, not to worry, just scroll down to the On Demand section that you will see there. And uh, that is all of the previously aired shows. You'll find it there in their entirety. As of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, uh, the show, uh, they are auto-recorded. Um, and for those of you that maybe prefer to listen in a different uh, medium, uh, you can go to Stitcher.com or even iTunes.com. And under the podcast section, again, just type in Golf Talk Live, and uh, you can listen to the uh, uh, broadcasts in their entirety there as well. Uh, so whatever type of media you want to, or medium, excuse me, that you'd rather uh, listen to, you, there's all kinds of options there. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm all over social media, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck CEO. CEO, of course, is in capital letters. And thank you again for all of the recent followers uh, on Twitter. And also LinkedIn, you can just type in my, uh, my whole name, uh, Ted Odorico, and it's O-D-O-R-I-C-O is the uh, correct spelling of the last name. And I see that uh, it looks like my uh, friend Bernard is uh, ready to go here. So let me bring on my very special guest tonight, uh, Bernard Sheridan. Hey, how are you? Good evening, Bernard. And I'm doing very well. Welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Ted. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Um, I know that uh, you had uh, – before we get into to, uh, talking golf tonight um, – why don't you just maybe give us a little bit of an update? I, I've already done the intro um, before you came on live, so uh, everybody's uh, familiar with who you are and that. But maybe just touch a little bit. I know that you uh, obviously went through, uh, I'm sure, a, a very traumatic uh, experience here recently with the uh, Hurricane Irma, of course, passing through Naples, which is where you're uh, residing now. Tell us a little bit about how things are down there right now, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some golf. Well, you know, uh, really what happened for me was I uh, – I, I I left Naples and went up to Orlando uh, because my son goes to school in Orlando. So I took my right. daughter and I headed up to Orlando to my son's and I thought that we would escape up in Orlando. Um, and then we found that it was going to actually engulf the entire state. So we decided that we were going to leave the state and we fled to uh, Tennessee. And we went to Johnson City, Tennessee, and we stayed right. in Tennessee for uh, four days. 
Um, wow. And then from there, we saw it was coming into Tennessee. So then we left Tennessee yeah. and we drove back to Pennsylvania, where I'm actually from. And I am right now, as I'm speaking to you, on the road in South Carolina on my way back to Orlando with my son. My daughter stayed in Pennsylvania. She's going to fly back next week. Um, So as for, we live actually a little bit north of Naples in Estero. And um, my wife actually stayed in Naples um, in a... uh, in a, in a home that was uh, able to withstand Category 5 hurricanes. And um, she she seemed to be okay, and a few days ago she went back to our house. And luckily for us, we still had electricity, and, um, and we did not sustain a tremendous amount of damage. We were very, very fortunate. Well... Well, that's uh, first and foremost, uh, Bernard, let me just say uh, I'm glad that uh, um, you were able to get out there safely, and, and I'm obviously glad that uh, your family was as well, and particularly your wife who stayed back there. I'm glad that she was able to, uh, to, to seek a shelter. I know it was, um, you know, it, being up here in the, in the northwest uh, part of Florida, you know, we certainly didn't feel any of the impact uh, that they did down in, in your area, Naples and, and obviously Orlando. Um, it, it really, for lack of better words, a lot of it had kind of fizzled out by the time uh, it worked up here, but then sort of built up strength again when it hit into the Carolinas. Uh, they actually sustained more damage and, and more uh, flooding and so forth in that area. But uh, I'm glad that, uh, that you uh, made it safely, and I'm glad that you're on your way back, and that uh, uh, in your particular area, I'm glad that uh, you, you sustained uh, much less damage than, than some of the other areas. But uh, I know there's still be a lot of a lot of cleanup and, and whatnot uh, in, in Naples and other parts of Florida. But uh, uh, like I said, uh, we're, we're certainly grateful that, uh, that you were able to, uh, to make it out there. Um, so let's talk, let's switch things a little bit and let's talk about golf. And I, I want to first, before we get into what you're doing and, uh, at Tiburon and talk a little bit about Tiburon, um, let's go back a little ways, maybe just share with the listeners how you kind of got into golf and who were some of your inspirations uh, earlier on in, in, in golf, uh, who were maybe some of the players or even some of the coaches that you uh, were familiar with that, that sort of put that bug or that fire in you to, to get into golf? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of a funny story how I actually got into golf because at the time when I started to play, um, which was later in life, really, um, I really didn't start playing until I was about 33 years old. And um, I was an audio engineer and in the entertainment field. And my father-in-law had a couple of trophies in his home um, for golf. So I assumed he was a pretty good golfer. And um, little did I know that they were for a D flight and not an A flight. Um, But um, I said to him, I thought this would be a good way for me to bond with my father-in-law. And I said, how about we go out and play around the golf? And he had a couple of sets of, of golf clubs. And I said, um, I'll use one of your sets of golf clubs, and we'll go and we'll, and we'll play. So mm-hmm. I went to a golf course um, and played 18 holes. And I shot an 82. 
and wow. uh, and he shot 97, and he wasn't too happy. <laughs> he <No. laughs> was absolutely kind of mad at me, and he said, I thought you didn't play golf, and I said, I I don't play golf, and he goes, that's that's a lie, you, you, you know, you, I've, I've been playing golf for years, and, and you beat the heck out of me, and I said, I didn't even know I was playing against you. <laughs> I said, I thought we were just playing. And uh, so, so of course, I caught the bug. Um, and then very, uh, not that long after that, he, um, he, he actually got prostate cancer. And um, mm. when he uh, went to get that looked at, they found out that he needed a triple bypass. So wow. they did a triple bypass. He was in the hospital for a month. God rest his soul now because he's passed away. But um, right. Because he needed that triple bypass, when he came back off of recovery from all that, he never golfed again because he was afraid he had his chest split open. And and yeah. and then by that time, he just didn't want to do it anymore. And I really got the bug, and I started to take lessons. And, and unfortunately for me, a lot of the instructors that I went to, um, they uh, they really didn't help me too much. So I decided yeah. that at, when I was younger, I taught guitar and bass. And I thought, you know what, if I really study this, I bet I can do a better job than they do. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of got passionate about it and decided that um, when I got older that I was going to become a golf coach. And I started that when I was 39, and I'm 59 now, and I've been doing it ever since. Um, But I also did audio for many years along with that, and and basically um, it's only been the past two years that I've strictly just been a golf coach, and I haven't done anything in the music industry. I retired from that. I was in that for 30 years. Right. Um, you know, what, what's interesting, uh, I just want to go back for a second when you were, you know, uh, sharing the story with your father-in-law. You know, that that's sort of always par for the course. You know, when you uh, invite somebody to play with you that's never played before, um, that's a very common theme. For some reason, they just sort of have a natural pickup of the game. And I'm sure he's probably regret or probably regretted at that time letting you use uh, a set of his clubs, uh, especially since you beat him. I, I think he he actually said you can have those clubs. I should have never got <laughs> got the ones I got. He said he kept saying I should have got ping clubs. I should have got pings. And um, I <laughs> to tell you the truth, I don't even remember what kind of clubs they were. Um, and then when I actually got clubs myself. I tried to hit ping, and I hooked them off the planet. I could not hit a ping club to save my life at that time. Right. Because most of the pings were offset, and I was hitting everything left. Yeah. Yeah, they were difficult. When they first came out, they were very difficult uh, for a lot of uh, folks uh, that that weren't familiar because, like you said, they were offset, and and it just wasn't uh, normal for most people's eyes. Was there any uh, golfers, uh, I mean, before you started playing and then ultimately uh, got into coaching and that, uh, was there any players uh, that growing up that uh, you kind of, I, I won't say it goes far necessarily say to admire, but that you really enjoyed and kind of put that spark as well into you? Was there any particular players growing up that, that uh, caught your eye? Uh, well, I think the two players that caught my eye the most when I was younger, because I did, I did see golf and I did watch it and, 
I wasn't a huge fan of golf. I was more of a baseball fan, and I still am a real big baseball fan. But um, I think the two that I liked the most are actually three. Um, was Jack Nicklaus and Lee yep. Trevino and yep. Gary Player. Um, I liked Arnie, too, but there was something about those guys. And then I had kind of like, as I got older, I had many brushes with Gary Player. And out of that whole grouping, he really became my favorite player. Um, uh, and only because of the the little, the funny little things that happened um, with me and him, um, which was really crazy. But, but, um, <laughs> and then today, uh, really my favorite player is Jordan Spieth. I, I tremendously admire him, um, as a person. And, um, yep. And, of course, he's just such a fantastic player. And and I can see that same look in his eye that you could see in Jack's eye. I mean, he's yes. he just has that, that, that certain kind of look that um, he's going he's gonna to not give up uh, no matter what. And that's how Jack always was, and I always admired that. Yeah, and Jordan, uh, just to add very quickly, and then, then I want to move on to um, to what you're doing now. Um, you know, the other thing about Jordan too is, is he has a tremendous work ethic. Um, you know, he puts a lot of thought. It's not just out there beating balls, uh, day in, day out. He actually puts a lot of thought into his game. Uh, and that really, I think separates, I mean, there's so many great players out in the PGA and of course the LPGA tour, uh, as you know, but, um, there's something special that separates the players that sort of hover around the top on a, on a week in week out basis. And as you said, you know, there's sort of that, that twinkle in his eye that is very reminiscent of, uh, of Jack Nicholas. You're exactly right. And I think a lot of that is they both have a, a good work ethic, but they also have um, a, a very strong mental side of, of the game, which um, to be a top player, you've got to have. You can't be just a great ball striker. You've got to be somebody that mentally uh, can stand the test of time out in the golf course, and he definitely has that. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm in agreement with you on that. Um, let, let's move on to, to what you're doing now. You're an instructor at Impact Zone Golf at, at of course, uh, the very prestigious Tiburon Golf Club. Tell us a little bit about your academy there and uh, also a little bit about Tiburon, about the course itself. Well, um, the academy that's at Tiburon is on the back of the range. Uh, it, it's a pretty nice layout there. It's, it's a good size uh, driving range, and there is actually um, two, two covered areas where we uh, do lessons and then also there's a um, there's a short game area there and there's a nice area that has uneven lie where it's like a big mound where you can do uphill, downhill, side hill um, and then a good size yep. putting green back there and then we have a small uh, office in the back uh, that we can actually bring students in and, and uh, look at video in there as opposed to just looking at it on the computer out under the canopy. Uh, and, um, and it's a really, it's a, it's a beautiful golf course. The grounds are fantastic. I mean, it's, it's really gorgeous. Um, right now they're rebuilding the black course, and that will be ready in November. I'm sure that with the hurricane, uh, there's going to yeah. be a little bit of a pushback due to that 
Uh, I know that the course is not going to open up for another, I think, another week and a half, they said. Uh, so we're, of course, going to try to get um, our area and get them to let them have have us open that up uh, so that we can begin lessons out there again. And then we have uh, also uh, headquarters in North It looks like we, uh, my apologies, it looks like uh, uh, Bernard's call got dropped. He probably, um, as he said, he's traveling uh, through South Carolina, so I'll just uh, wait for a second and, and let him call back in. Um, it looks like he probably got into a, uh, an area with uh, with some uh, issues with cell service, so hopefully uh, he'll be able to, to dial back in here real quick. But in the meantime, let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live, and actually here he is, so let me just bring him back in. Yes. Sorry, we uh, hey, the, hey, dropped the call there. So when you're on the road, yeah, that's okay. sometimes that'll happen. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, I've the golf had to course deal with... itself is gorgeous. I mean, and it's in great shape right now. The golf course was rebuilt last year. It's in fantastic shape. Uh, that course is very, very tricky. Uh, you know, it, there's it's it's like Augusta in the fact that there's no rough anywhere. Yeah. So if you miss the green by a little bit, it's going to roll into either a waste area or into a brush or into water. Uh, so that makes it difficult. And most of the greens, the slope on the greens are only about 1%. So they are very subtle in break. So they're not very easy to read. And right. then the greens so are set up like 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 uh, British Open type greens where it's stacked side oh, wow. and it's like a wall. So if you end up <laughs> in a bunker and you're, and you're close to that, to that wall, you pretty much have to hit out the other way. It's really difficult to get over the walls that are in there. Um, so it's, and hence the reason more than likely why they have a PGA, uh, you know, the sharp shootout there. And then of course right. the LPGA plate there too. And it's very, yeah, very it's a difficult fantastic. course. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic uh, track for sure. Um, it'd be exciting to see what's, uh, what's going to take place with some of the changes uh, in uh, addition to uh, the black course and that. It'll be interesting to see what, uh, uh, what they do to it. Um, let me ask you a question. I, I want to get into a little bit more specific about golf. Um, obviously, um, a lot of, high, of our high handicappers out there seem to worry more about their distance control uh, and Look, the look of their swing as opposed to the impact position. Obviously, uh, you know the importance of the impact position. Talk a little bit about that because obviously that's something that, that I'm sure you focus at at your uh, academy. Um, what do you do to try to overcome some of the, the typical stereotype uh, golfers out there that seem to be only concerned about adding yards to their game and, and how pretty their swing, for lack of better words, looks? Obviously, that's not the most important thing is as you mentioned earlier, Lee Trevino is, is somebody that uh, you certainly uh, grew up admiring in, in, in later in life. And obviously he didn't have the prettiest swing out in the PGA Tour, but he was effective, and that's because he knew how to get it uh, through impact well. Talk a little bit about how important impact is and what you do at the academy to in, really instill that in your students. Well, you know, really 
what I think a lot of players, I mean, there's nobody who doesn't want to hit it farther. And uh, sure. so, and what we, and what we say is the best way to hit it farther is not to swing faster or to hit it harder, but to hit it more precisely and to make better impact. And if you can hit it more on the sweet spot, then you're going to get a much higher efficient strike, which is going to translate into higher ball speed, which is going to make it go further. I mean, a good example is if you get two guys who swing at 100 miles an hour and one hits and one is not very consistent and where he hits it in the center of the face, he's going to lose 10 or 15 yards right away. And you right. can get the, another player who's swinging at the same exact speed and is hitting it 15 to 20 yards by the same player, and they don't understand what the difference is because they say, well, what the heck? I mean, we're both swinging at 100 miles an hour. Shouldn't we be hitting it the same distance? And that's really right. not true. So so we try to let players understand that that making precise impact is tremendously important. And uh, and the style of the swing really doesn't matter because if you look at all the great players, and we, as we just spoke of, if we take Lee Trevino and Jack Nicklaus, they had two completely different swings. And, yep. But they were both very precise ball strikers, and that's why they played mm-hmm. so well. Um, Jim Furyk is another example of that. I mean, yep. you know, his swing is very wacky looking but it's extremely effective for him. So so really, we don't get tied up in swing style. We don't worry about that. What we worry about is what's called five dynamics, and those are Mm -hmm. five things that all of those players have in common and all do the same thing. They may not not have the same swing style, but those five dynamics, they have in common every single one of them. Right. right. And, you know, in today's game, and I, and I wonder if the industry as a whole has done a little bit of an in, a disservice to themselves by, try, by trying to pigeonhole everybody into the same sort of swing style. Like, I'll give you an example, and then I'll let you comment on it. You know, we see a lot of, uh, unfortunately, there has been a lot of coaching in that. We're trying to get everybody to have this, uh, you know, sort of picture-perfect looking swing. Um, but as we know, everybody's uh, everybody is different. We're all, you know, inherently different as humans, but um, our, our body styles, our body types are different, and our ability uh, to swing is going to be different from one another. Is that something that you've seen um, that maybe you try to shy away from, is trying to put everybody in the same, uh, you know, uh, block, if you will, uh, when it comes to their, their golf swing, or do you try to um, keep everybody within uh, their own uh, individual efforts and abilities? We try to keep everybody in their own individual effort. Um, And what we try to do is improve their dynamics. And if we can improve their dynamics, then we can improve their impact. And if we can improve their impact, we can begin to have them strike the ball more consistently, which will then lead to lower scores. Um, Right. And... To get tied up in, because here's the thing, not everybody can do a certain swing style. Uh, they can't right. get in, some people can't get in those positions. Uh, so 
the positions that we're worried about, everybody can do. And uh, yes. I have several students who will say, oh, my swing is too long, or I cross the line at the top, or, or I do this, do that. And we won't change those things unless we know that it's going to improve their impact. So what I suggest to all players out there is don't try to swing like somebody who isn't you unless it's going to improve your impact. If it'll improve your impact, okay, then then we're okay with that. But if it's not going to improve your impact, then why do it? It makes no sense. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm talking about, you know, for for many years, and, and you're starting to see a change now, I think, in the industry. But for a long time, you know, it just seemed like everybody was coming out with a new swing theory and, uh, you know, sort of shuffling everybody into that. And I think one of the dangers with that is, as you said, not everybody can swing uh, the same way. So for some, it might come easily, that particular theory or style, uh, and for others, it may be more difficult. And I think what it did is, for the ones that maybe weren't able to get into some of the positions, uh, as easily, it was a little bit of a, a turnoff to them. Um, would you agree with that? And and uh, again, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I'm yeah, not going to name. Really yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. So no, I was so just going to say I, I that there were say... there were a lot of different. Sorry, there were a lot of different uh, uh, styles. And all I was going to say was there were a lot of different styles and theories out there, and I, and I wasn't going to name any of them. But you know what I'm talking about. Um, but please oh, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, oh, see, here's the thing. If, if I go to a – and that's that's why I got um, involved in coaching, honestly, um, because mm-hmm. the coaches that I saw that were trying to help me become a better player tried to put me into a style that didn't fit me. And, right. And they told me I, I needed the club to be in this position, and it's because it worked for them personally. Now – Yes. What it did was it just confused me, and it kind of messed me up, and it actually set me back, and I started to move backwards. So I decided that I was going to get away from those people, and I was going to start to study more impact. Now, the way that I ended up with Bobby Clampett was Mm. that a lot of the things that Bobby came up with I was coming up with at the same time on my own. And when right. I found out that he was doing the same things that I was doing, then I got in touch with him and then I got and then I found out he had a certification program and I got certified by him. And then he was very pleased with what I did and then I got the next certification and then he asked me if I would be interested in being a full part of a team that he was putting together uh, to build an academy in the Fort Myers area, um, which ended yep. up at Tiburon. Originally, we thought it was going to be at the gate at Gateway, which is in Fort mm-hmm. Myers. Um, but right. it ended up at Tiburon, and which I'm very glad because you know there's no better <laughs> place in, in South Florida than Tiburon, other than other than maybe um, uh, you know. Uh, the Blue Monster down there in, in Miami, uh, Dorrell. Dorrell. Uh, so, right. Right. So, so those are probably um, well-known golf courses in South Florida, and uh, 
and I'm, I'm, I feel very honored to be, uh, you know, part of that team. And, and, and it's lucky for me that a lot of the things that we just had like minds and, and really looked at, you know, that, that four-inch forward swing bottom and that flat lead wrist and, and maintaining that lag and the impact and, and, and things of that nature, dynamic, instead of trying to make it into positions, uh, all those dynamics happen more as a result of uh, of doing doing things correctly and delivering the club more with your body than with your arm. Yeah, and 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 I agree 100%. You know, I think that you know, I guess what I was getting at too was you know, there's been a lot of theories put out there and uh and again there's there's too many to list and I think it created more frustration and and it leads me to the next uh you know, topic that I want to uh, discuss with you, and that is, uh, you know, as we we both know, technology uh, has driven the industry for the last several years. Um, you know, from everything from new apps to um, you know, TrackMan, FlightScope, you know, all kinds of things out there. Uh, most of it is is fantastic. Uh, some of it, you know, might the might still be out. Uh, um, in, in what people think about it, but for the most part, uh, it's pretty good. One of the concerns that the industry, I think, has started to recognize is, again, you get a segment of the population that relies too heavily on that technology. So, obviously, I know that you do use some technology. How do you find uh, and create a balance when using it, not overwhelming your students, but at the same time using it for what it is, and that is a tool? Uh, well, what we use it for is a measuring device to see progression, um, and and it's not as much just numbers, but uh, but seeing seeing a, a progression in in where the path is, where the where the swing bottom is happening, um, where the uh, what the launch angle is, what the spin rate is. Um, and, and understanding that there are certain numbers that need to be produced to maximize uh, your effectiveness. And right. If, but we but we don't try to get students to produce those numbers. Uh, as and what I mean by that is, all right, you're at a, let's say you're hitting a six iron, and and you say, okay, well right now you're at eight thousand RPM with your six iron. So, so we need you to be at 6,000 RPM. Well, we don't say that to them because no. that's confusing. That's like a doctor saying to, uh, you're at 300 cholesterol and we need you at 200. Uh, so, so, right. so you as a, um, as, a, as a patient would say, okay, well, I, understand, I kind of understand what the numbers mean, but, but um, really what do I have to do to change those numbers and and should I be constantly looking at the numbers well no you'll look at the numbers when you come back and we test you again and if the numbers are better we know you're moving in the right direction uh, so we don't really get tied up in numbers uh, or or path or or all those other things we use it as a way for students to understand what they're doing and then when we see them again, if we put them up there again, we can show them how they're progressing. 
so what that really does for us is it allows us to have tangible proof that there is a progression and they are getting better. Because a lot of times what happens is players become better, but their scores don't reflect that. And most players right. believe that if they're going to get better, they have to lower their scores or they're not getting better. And that's not true. You can become a much better ball striker, but still not lower your handicap. Um, and it might be because you're not working on you're Now you're becoming a more efficient ball striker with your full swing, but there might be other parts of your game that are lacking. And that could be short game. It could be inside 100 yards. It could be putting. It could be getting up and down. It could be sand play. It could be mental game. It could be core strategy. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different components in the game that, that, that makes you be able to lower, actually lower your handicap. A lot of people think that they can just hit it farther. They're going to lower their handicap, and that's not true. Right. Well, and that's exactly right. I mean, we see a lot of long long ball hitters that, you know, certainly are, are great golfers, uh, but they're not in the hunt week in, week out um, because they don't have maybe other parts of their game. You know, one player that comes to mind, and, and you may or may not agree with this, um, who was uh, obviously uh, in, in this day and age was a phenomenal ball striker, uh, certainly has, you know, won some, uh, you know, tournament here and there, but I don't think has risen to the level he could have been um, simply because of some of the things you just point out, and that's Luke Donald. Um, you know, phenomenal ball striker. I mean, he's been uh, compared to some of the greats, but, you know, you don't see him um, as an effective player, but he's an effective ball striker. So that kind of proves what your theory, what you were just talking about, is you can hit the ball fantastic, but if you're not putting all the pieces together um, and scoring, then it doesn't really matter. And I think this is the yeah, trap, I, um, right? I think this is the trap that a lot of amateurs fall into is they're too worried, uh, again, as I said earlier, about getting into that perfect ball striking and not really learning how to play the game. I totally agree. I mean, the name of the game is getting the ball in the hole. And, uh, right. and you don't have to be the greatest ball striker to do that. You have to be... No. You, but you do have to have several different parts of your game effective to be able to do that. And you ha- and I think the problem is is that too many uh, people teach um, just off of the driving range mat, and these guys are playing. And then when they and when these guys go and play it or go hit balls at the range, they're hitting all these great shots. And then they go out and play, and they're hitting it all over the place. Um, and it's because right. they're not learning how to do things on the golf course and how to figure things out. Uh, and, and when they start to actually learn how to figure things out, that's when they start to see changes in their scores. Yeah, and, and that's, again, is a great point because, uh, you know, as I was saying, you know, it's great what you're doing on the range. It, you certainly have to develop those fundamentals and you have to be able to uh, gain some consistency in your game but when you now get out on the golf course most players and I'm sure you've seen this so many times you've lost count uh, a lot of players have a difficult challenge taking their range game out on the golf course they're hitting them great on the range but when they get as you said when they get out on the golf course and I like the fact that you said earlier um, that you talked about how you're, you're able to 
create a lot of different scenarios in your academy, uh, you know, uphill, downhill, side hill lies, this sort of thing, to give a more realistic uh, feel for some of the players out there. Um, are playing lessons uh, something that you uh, subscribe to a lot, and do you try to get your students out uh, on the golf course as well as on the practice team? Absolutely, and, and if it was up to me, every other lesson would be a playing um, and and the reason why is because you know it's funny, but but golf is the only sport where people practice not on the place that they play. Right. Uh, you play tennis, you play on a tennis court. You um you play base, you practice baseball, you practice. You might go into a batting cage, um, but nine out of ten times you're on the baseball diamond. If you uh, if you play basketball, you're on the basketball court shooting on a hoop. It, it, it's it's like it's almost identical. Um, so I think the problem with most people who practice on a range is number one, a lot of them will only hit like two or three clubs on the range, and they're and they're hitting off a level I the whole time. Um, yes. That never. I can't think of any round of golf that I've ever played that I hit more than maybe two or three shots off of a level lie, even on some tee boxes, they're not always exactly perfectly level. So um, that's that's a big problem, and I think that a lot of people don't. I think that now people are starting to understand that, and instructors are starting to understand the importance of that, and uh, and I write uh, you know blog posts and things like that all the time. Right. About and I tell my students all the time that um, when they practice, I honestly don't like them to to hit the same club more than two times um, because they're never going to do that on the golf course. So if they practice right. a little bit more like they play. And if they don't try to hit 100 balls in a row um, with a 7-iron or a driver, um, you know, all that's going to do is just build in a mechanical, um, you know, that's fine if you're trying to to work on a specific thing. But uh, you're never going to do that on the golf course. And, you know, Ben Hogan, when he practiced, he never hit more than 21 balls without taking a break. Right. He would hit 21 balls, and in his day it was a little bit different, but he would hit 21 balls and then sit down and have a cigarette and a glass of ginger ale. And he had the ginger yep. ale because it helped him feel more, you know, he felt that it gave him better touch and feel. And I guess he thought the cigarette was to calm his nerves or something. But he also um, would make the last three balls in those 21 balls. If he didn't hit his target, then he had to hit another 21 balls. If he hit that target wow. in those last three balls, then he could go home. Um, and yep. he would not go home until he did that. But he went home a lot because, according to stories <laughs> that I've told, heard, heard and stories that I've heard um, from actually people who actually – personally witnessed him doing demonstrations, uh, he could hit any iron within three feet of his target. 
on a regular basis. And most of the time, he would hit the ball right into the shag bag. The guy who was shagging it didn't even have to pick it up. It went right into the bag. <laughs> That's how good he was. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, uh and I've always said, you know, I had, I had the pleasure of, um, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. I had the pleasure of um, interviewing uh, legendary Billy Casper on my uh, program, uh, I think about three or so years ago. And, you know, he was sort of the same mindset. You know, they just had a different way of, of dealing with things when they were, you know, up and coming on the on the tour and, uh, and playing golf. And, um, you know, it was a lot less about mechanics and more about, you know, actually out there playing and, and, and strategizing, if you will, much like, as you said earlier, with Nicholas and, uh, and even Jordan Spieth. Um, so it was a much different breed back then. They, you know, some of the players certainly, you know, Nicholas certainly didn't, you know, get out in the driving range and, and beat balls for, for hours upon hours. You know, he thought about um, the types of shots he was going to be needing uh, maybe for uh, when he was playing Augusta National or uh, some other uh, important tournament. Um, so he was focusing on actually playing the game and strategizing on how he was going to play a specific golf course and not about hitting a picture-perfect uh, you know, golf swing or, or a shot each and every time. It was about uh, bringing what he knew he was able to bring uh, to that particular venue that week, and, and that's really what he worked on most of his life. Uh, I want to jump to um, something that I, I know that you want to talk about and, and I certainly want to share with the listeners here. Uh, you're also a host of a very successful podcast, uh, Breaking Par with Bernard Sheridan. Uh, first and foremost, what uh, what inspired you to, to sort of venture out into this medium, uh, and what are some of the things that, that you like to, uh, you know, talk about with your guests and, and hope to uh, bring to the, the many listeners that, that are following uh, your podcast? Well, um, what really first made me want to do a podcast was that uh, I had many students who would ask me questions about different topics. And so I thought a great way for me to have that accessible to my students would be to sit down and do a podcast. So when I started the podcast about three years ago, um, it was just me and a microphone and I would talk about a topic for a half an hour. Uh, and and that topic ranged anything from maybe putting to what kind of what you should do to find a good coach and what you should look for, or uh, what 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 should you look for to find a great junior golf camp for your juniors? Uh, what are some of the things that that you need to know? Um, and uh, and I did that for the first 40 episodes. Uh, so right. 40 weeks, once a week, I did a half-hour show, just me and a microphone talking to the air, um, which was not that easy to do. And, no. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I also thought, too, uh, that in the beginning, I didn't worry about messing up because I knew I didn't have any listeners. <laughs> And I right. Thought, nobody knows. Nobody knows who I am. Oh, you know, if I mess up, I mess up. It's no big deal because I might have one or two listeners out there who are actually my students, and and right. they don't care whether I mess up or not. Uh, so that was a great way for me to fine tune my my skill on the microphone as as a 
as a uh, you know someone who's hosting a podcast and right. uh, and and hone my skills that way. Well, after forty weeks, I started to run out of ideas, honestly. Um, and yep. So I thought, yep. you, you know, I need to get other instructors on here and get their take on these ideas and what do they think about it and what's and and because they of course don't have the same mind as I do and they might think differently or they might think the same and explain it another way that maybe my listeners would understand better so I contacted um, I'm a member of many groups on Facebook uh, that are sure. golf related groups. So I put it out there and I said, Hey, um, I'm looking for guests to do interviews with on my podcast. Who's up for it? Who's interested? Well, yep. literally within 20 yep. minutes, I got 15 people who wanted to be on the podcast. Uh, yep. So, and that's really how it started. And my first guest was Mike Fay. And uh, mm-hmm. I just released uh, my 147th show, so I've had 107 guests on um, so far. Yeah, and, and I actually took you know, a year break too. I took a year break due to the fact that I um, I, I I got throat cancer is what happened. Um, oh, so I had to take a year wow. break, and I and I did not. Uh, I was unable to even speak for about three months. Uh, so I, I just basically mm. took a break from it. And then once I recovered, then I came back and started the show again. So I probably would have been in about 200 and some episodes, maybe 207 or 206 or something. But I'm at 147 right. now. Well, let me let me first say uh, I'm glad that, uh, that you have recovered and um, – I know that uh, you've done extremely well with with your podcast. I know that you've had, uh, obviously, we share uh, some of the same guests, of of course, on yours uh, are on mine as well and have been over the last uh, several years. And I I think what's good about this is this provides another medium. Um, You know, I know that you're on Facebook all the time, as as I am, and and some of the other social media, and it is a great work, uh, a great way to network but it's also a great way of exchanging information. And obviously this podcast uh, not only gave you an opportunity to share and express your thoughts uh, on the game, uh, but also bring a host of other uh, like-minded professionals and even maybe some that aren't like-minded uh, to share their views and thoughts uh, and inputs into the game as well. So uh, kudos to you for, for doing that, and I'm glad uh, you know, that, it's, uh, that it's been going well. Um, where can, the, two, uh, where can the, the listeners uh, go? Is there a website or links uh, that they can go to? to uh, pick up some of the, the ones that you've released so far? Oh, absolutely. So um, so there's a couple of different places, and and my podcast is a little, I, I don't want to say really unique, but maybe in a way that I do with my podcast, I release it in two formats. I release it on uh, as a podcast, uh, you know, an MP3 file, on, uh, right. I, on several different formats, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, uh, TuneIn, um, and a few other formats, SoundCloud. Um, and and then I also release it as a video and a video portion on my YouTube channel. Now, my YouTube channel is Bernard Sheridan, 
and uh, and my pod, and then I have a website for my podcast that has not only my podcast um, with both the video and the audio on there, but there is right. also blog posts on there, and and there are instructional videos and things like that, and people can contact me, and I'll be more than happy to if they want to. Um, uh, if they have a topic that they want to have covered, then I'll, I'll either do a video on that topic and put it on my YouTube channel and then put it on the website or whatever. But the website is uh, com, And then, of course, the YouTube channel is just my name, Bernard Sheridan. Um, and then you can find me on many social media. Uh, Facebook is uh, Breaking Par The Podcast on Facebook, and um, Twitter, it's at Farbreakers, because my previous golf academy that I owned in Pennsylvania was called Farbreakers Golf Academy, uh, but oh, okay. so I still use that name, um, even though I'm with Impact Zone now, I, I actually closed that facility uh, a few years back, when I got offered to come down here to Florida and work with uh, Impact Zone. Uh, and then, um, so, and then I'm on like Instagram and, and, um, and also on, uh, on, uh, Google plus, I do a lot of things mm-hmm. on, in the golf community on Google plus, which is, uh, Ricky Potts is the mastermind of that. Uh, I don't know whether you know yep. Ricky, but, um, yes, I do. But Ricky actually also is, uh, in charge of digital media at Tiburon now. And I've known Ricky for oh, many wow. years, and he and now we actually work at the same club, uh, so which is really kind of cool that that happens. Uh, so and I I release a lot of stuff there, and now I release a lot of stuff. Um, there's a new website that's over in the UK that contacted me, and that's uh and that's uh, clubfacegolf.com, and they actually mm-hmm. have a uh, it's a social media, kind of like a, a, a website that's built to bring golfers together and to let them know about different golf courses and things like that. And um, they asked me if I would be a part of that and write blog posts for them on a regular basis and release my podcast on their website, uh, give them links to that regularly and things like that. So th- there's a lot of ways that you can... Uh, hear or find out about things that I do in uh, not just the podcast, but instructional videos and and things and things of that nature. Now, let me ask you uh, just a final question as we we get ready to wrap up. Uh, obviously, I know you're heading back down uh, home to uh, first to Orlando uh, with your son, and then you're going to be heading off over to Naples. Uh, once you kind of get back uh, in the swing of things. Uh, for those that might be interested in maybe working with you at your academy uh, down in Naples, uh, how can they? What's the best way to uh, to get a hold of you there? How how do they get about uh, getting a hold of you? Well, they can go to impactzonegolf.com, um, and the number is there. The number there is uh, is two three nine two three six five five three six, and they can ask that they'd like to take a lesson with Bernard Sheridan. And um, and they will hook you up there. Uh, they can also, if they like, um, they can email me direct 
my my personal email, which is parbreakers at gmail.com, or they can call me direct. Uh, and, my, and I'm not afraid to give out my personal cell phone number, believe it or not. <laughs> and that's uh, 215-518-0435. And I'll be happy to answer any question that they have about it and set up a time for them to uh, to get a lesson with me and either at the indoor facility or at Tiburon itself or uh, do a playing lesson, whatever they wish. Perfect. Well, Bernard, I want to thank you very much. Uh, I know it's... Uh, uh, I'm sure it's been a challenge keeping your eye on the road and, and uh, speaking with me and, and sharing uh, some of your thoughts and inputs uh, into the game with my audience. I appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, I'll, I'd love to have you come back on again uh, on a future show, but uh, I want to thank you again and, and be safe uh, on the rest of your journey, and uh, I'm glad that uh, um, that things are, are uh, you know went as well as they did down home, and uh, I hope that uh, you continue success with the podcast and also with your academy. Thanks very much, Ted. I really appreciate you having me. And, uh, you know, you have a great show here yourself. And, um, you know, I listen to it often. And uh, I, I feel very honored that you asked me to be on. Well, I think uh, what I'll do in the new year, uh, Bernard, if you're able to, I mean, you've got a pretty full plate right now, but uh, I, I know you're familiar. If you've listened to the podcast, you know that we have uh, uh, Coach's Corner segment. In fact, that preceded your interview tonight. Um, maybe you'll throw your hat in the ring on a couple of the, the Coach's Corner segments next year um, when we start it up again in the new year and uh, join some of your fellow uh, uh, teacher professional and coaches on there. Uh, we have a great panel discussion each and every week on the show before my interview guest, so maybe you'll have some time to squeeze in a couple of those next year. Uh, I'll certainly extend the invite. I would love to do that. I mean, I, and anytime you want me, just let me know, and, and uh, I'll be more than happy to, to, to make the time. All right, sounds good. Well, safe travels on the rest of your journey, as I said. And, and Bernard, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. Thanks. Take care and God bless. All right, you too. All right, bye-bye. All right, that was my very special guest uh, tonight, uh, Bernard Sheridan. As I mentioned, he is the uh, instructor at the Impact Zone uh, Golf at uh, Tiburon Golf Club in uh, Naples, Florida, which he's on his way back uh, now with a, a slight jaunt to uh, Orlando to uh, drop off his son. Uh, and also the host of Breaking Par with Bernard Sheridan uh, podcast that he's been doing, as he said, for the last several years, uh, interviewing some great uh, uh, fellow professionals uh, in the industry. Um, so thank you to him as well. And again, one more time, I'd like to offer a special thank you to the uh, Coaches Corner panel tonight, Peter Exarian, John Hughes, uh, Jamie Leno-Zimron, and special guest panelist, uh, Brett Cohen. Thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job tonight, uh, as always. And, uh, of course, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity to thank uh, all of the listeners worldwide for faithfully tuning in to Golf Talk Live each and every week. And as uh, this evening will attest to, I certainly uh, have a great amount of uh, pleasure and enjoyment of having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teacher professionals, authors, and entrepreneurs uh, stopping by the show. And it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. Uh, special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com to uh, get a copy of the guide if you're interested. A great publication here in the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, if you go to southcoastgolfguide.com, you can learn more about some of the great golf courses that are listed in the guide, uh, and uh, you can actually reach out to the courses through the guide uh, if you're wanting to book tee times and, and that sort of thing, or maybe just check them out. Um, but he'll be more than happy if you're not in the area 
uh, to ship you off a copy. But if you are coming down uh, somewhere here in the southeastern part of the United States, from literally from Texas right over here to uh, northwest part of Florida and all states in between, uh, you can visit most of your uh, larger golf facilities and even some of the larger condos here. Uh, and also Edwin Watts, I believe, is, is carrying the guide as well. But if not, uh, just go to southcoastgolfguide.com and you can uh, get all the information there as well. Uh, also, Meredith Kirk uh, from Meredith Kirk Golf. If you go to her website, meredithkirk.com, she's a great LPGA uh, teacher professional out in the Myrtle Beach, South Carolina area. Uh, she's been a guest on the show a number of times as well, but a great uh, teacher professional and a great uh, coach as well and gives, really gives so much back to the game of golf. Uh, thanks, Mer- Meredith, for all of your continued support. Uh, Nikki and his lovely wife, Tiffany Litherland. Uh, Nikki, of course, is a great golf professional. Thanks for all of your uh, help in spreading the word uh, about my program, Golf Talk Live. Uh, also, Mr. Bernie Pinder uh, from OnticGolf.com. Uh, Ontic Golf, of course, is a great custom uh, line of putters that uh, Bernie has uh, developed over the years. Uh, if you go to OnticGolf.com, you can uh, check out the great line there and and uh, even purchase yourself a, a great uh, customized uh, putter there on off of his website. Uh, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of LinkedGolfers.com. Of course, uh, Sean is the um, top guy, if you will, for Linked Golfers, which is uh, the largest golf uh, uh, group on LinkedIn.com, uh, a social media platform uh, really designed for business professionals, but uh, Linked Golfers is on there. And uh, LinkedGolfers.com is, of course, a platform that he created uh, to sort of carry that brand, if you will, uh, in addition to being on LinkedIn, but also on his own uh, media platform. And, of course, last but not least, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions uh, over in Ireland. Thank you for all of your continued support as well. And on that note, I will uh, see you guys next time right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody and have a great weekend.